This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Irish judo athlete Megan Fletcher. She discusses her heartbreak in trying to qualify for Rio 2016, the effects a psychologist has had on her performance, as well as her plans moving forward to the Tokyo Olympics. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Cool. So, uh, Megan, thanks for doing this. And obviously you're on your day off from from working. First thing, how's COVID life treating you and and the family? So, to be honest, I can't really complain too much about how lockdown's been for me. I came back to my parents um, with my boyfriend and um, they've got quite a nice bit of land as well. So we can kind of go outside a lot more. They've got the dogs and they've got their business here at the garden centre. So, like, me and my brother came back together as well. So we've been working there as well since they've reopened. So it's been been pretty good, really. I couldn't really complain. Like, we can go to our old judo club and train over there, um, which has been, like, gold dust, you know, like, being able to the gym and have the mats to be able to actually do some judo on. So really, we've been super lucky <laughs> compared to lots of other people. So in terms of your, like, your plans and stuff, obviously, um, it was Tokyo was meant to be coming up and stuff. How has COVID kind of affected... Um, your plans or your training and all that type of stuff so it actually um had a massive impact uh for all of my plans going forward so for me I was going to retire after Tokyo so I'd already made like my post Olympic plans of kind of moving back, back like this way with my boyfriend we we're going to build a house I was going to start working in the business with my parents blah 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 so like all of my like post Olympic plans Obviously, I've all been pushed back a year, which was kind of quite hard to kind of get my head around to start with. But I think just the first of well, the most important thing was that the Olympic Games, when it all kind of started with, with COVID and the uncertainty about everything, it was kind of the fear that I'm finally good enough to go to Olympic Games and I'm in qualification and everything's going really well, training's been really great. And then that is gone. It's like the weirdest feeling to like try and get used to do like get your head around it's like um for four years that's been your complete goal and then it's it's like gone obviously it hasn't gone it's just been pushed back a year but you know the media hypes everything up oh it's gonna be cancelled oh this is gonna happen there's there's always so much speculation about stuff and actually i don't know if it will get cancelled next year if everything carries on the way it is you know but you can't really think like that but it was very difficult to kind of accept when everything's been going so well that's gone now that makes sense and there's like always that worry of oh is everything going to be okay next year am I going to be in good enough shape to be able to compete I'm like you know all those kind of like doubts come into your head so it has been quite um difficult I think probably the first month was quite hard up and down really for me because I wasn't working with my parents either because the garden center was shut I was training but it was really difficult I felt like there was no purpose to my session. It was really weird going from like everything being so structured and so focused on one. No, it wasn't on one event. Obviously, we still had to finish qualification, but you're so focused, and then that's gone. And it was just it was such a bizarre feeling. So, how did you deal with that in terms of, as you said, you the point where you've pretty much qualified for the Olympics and stuff, and 
I imagine, as you said, it's tough. How did you deal with that? What what type of avenues did you go down? I think it's one of those situations where, as lame as it sounds, you know, like time is going to actually make it a little bit easier. You kind of just had to accept. I had to just be like, you're completely entitled to feel crap about this. You know, like it's not ideal. And then they, then the kind of guilt creeps in because you're thinking there are things that are bigger than there's things that are bigger than everything else at the moment. You know, thousands of people are dying because of this. And then you start to feel guilty because you're feeling upset because a sporting event's been cancelled. Yeah, okay. For us people in sport, it's like the pinnacle, you know, like as a kid, that's what I want to do. You know, like you try and like balance it all out, but it's taken, I think it took a lot of kind of just being a bit kind to myself about it all, just being like, that's how I feel today. That's okay. But like I did a lot of work with my psychologist, James, who I see like regularly when I'm in Bath anyway, and um, lots of meditation, lots of just kind of like being like, change the focus from performance it was it was a really weird point I was like right okay I'm gonna set some new goals so I got myself a new diary I was like I'm gonna set some, and I didn't even know what to write down as a judo goal it was like the weirdest feeling I was like I don't even want to write anything down I just kind of started to resent it a little bit so I was like right let's just change the focus to something different so it wasn't being about performance sport it's just about being healthy I want to be fit and healthy now so as soon as I can start doing judo again I'm ready to go you know, and by taking that pressure and focus away from performance judo to just being healthy, I think helped a lot. So, but it's really hard to change your mentality. Yeah, I suppose it was particularly as you're trying to ramp it up towards a competition where you are focusing purely on performance. You know, I need to make sure that I'm in the best condition to perform at the Olympics to then almost do a complete U-turn where it's almost like I just need to be able to well being able to participate is a massive plus compared to where a lot of that I imagine that must be really difficult yeah I think it's um it was just kind of I think accepting that I was like in a really fortunate position because I had access to a gym you know like I knew how lucky we were with that and it was like I just need to make every opportunity I can with that make sure I get all my sessions done in the week that I need to get done. I kind of was like these are the sessions I need to get done no my that's my goal my sporting goal for the week you know it's difficult going from every session having like such tiny little goals within them you know like a certain situation I need to work on that I didn't do so well in the last competition or it was really hard because I felt like I was on the final straight and it was I felt like everything went up the upper gear and I felt like we were like on the final straight yeah. and I felt I don't know like extra fire I can't explain it that's how I felt and then it was like Someone just splash loads of water on it <laughs> and just put the fire out. It's really hard to explain it. That's how I felt. And it just, I think for the first few weeks, I just felt really like deflated. You know, you have that like feeling in your tummy, you're just like flat. Yeah. Of course, that's going to be the case. That's been my goal for, well, I've done judo for 25 years, you know, and my dream is to go to the Olympic Games and win a medal. And I felt like that was possible. And it still is possible, you know. It just took a bit of adjusting to realise it's okay not to be all right in that situation so what is the situation regarding like qualification and and whatnot at the moment I guess had you qualified if the Olympics had been when they were meant to be had you qualified or were you in qualification places and how does that look for next year have they announced what they're planning to do yet yes everything kind of everything's frozen currently so there's no competitions going on everything on the qualification point system is just frozen until we can start doing competitions again. So they've announced that as soon as qualification starts, 
every competition from then is going to count as 100% points. So we have qualification over two years. The first year is 50% points. And then the like final year is 100%. So it kind of it's more weighted. So we'll have a bit of extra time qualification within qualification, I think. In my head, I feel like we're going to probably start in January. That's how I feel. We've got the Europeans are penciled in for the November this year, but I just can't really. I don't know. I'm just waiting to see if it comes because that was one of the things you know I was struggling to write a goal down. I was like, right, okay, we've got a date now for the Europeans. I started, I kept writing in for a few days, and every time I wrote in, I was like, is that even going to happen? It was just like you know, it was so unsure. So then that's why I just kind of completely scrapped having any competition goals. I was just like, stay healthy and fit. You know, that was the best thing for me to do. But um. In terms of where I'm sat at the moment, I'm 11th, I think it is, like with the cleanest. If the Olympic Games went today, I'd be going in number 11. So kind of my focus from, from January was I wanted to get in the top eight because then you're, you're ranked going in, which I thought was possible. So that's what my kind of aim is going to be as soon as we can kick off again is I want to get in the top eight. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're in a pretty good place then. Um, in terms of your qualifying and stuff, so I imagine that's probably why you it was a little bit more frustrating than than what than you thought because of the fact you're in a really good position to qualify and be able to go and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I think it's kind of there's both sides in there. So obviously, I'm, I'm in a good position, so I'm not like stressed thinking, oh, I need to get those, I need to get points as soon as we can start. It's quite nice to think I can give myself time to make sure that I'm really ready to start competing again. You know, like if some people are like right on the borderline they might try and start fighting before they're ready because they have to you know so it's quite nice to be in that position and then ben's in a similar position to me you know we're both quite in kind of good ranking at the minute so it's quite nice but then like you said because you feel like oh my rank is good i'm feeling really good this is gonna be a great year and then you know so there's things around about but it kind of it is what it is you know like as cliche as that is it kind of you have to kind of deal with it. And Harry, our SNC coach, when it all started happening and kind of, we could see that lockdown was coming, he said to me, he was like, the people that are going to perform the best at Olympic Games are the ones that can deal with this the best. And that's kind of stuck with me. You know, like, you kind of have to figure out your way of dealing with it to come out the other side stronger and better. Right. Even if that's not physically, mentally, you know. And I guess your your reframing of, of the goals and stuff is, is quite an interesting one in terms of like trying to get healthy because obviously being in a compact sport, you're always going to have, you know, little niggles and, and issues and stuff here. So I guess being able to reframe it and go, actually, I could use this time to be almost the healthiest I've ever been going into a major competition. It's quite a good way of reframing it and going, well, that's my preparation now to make sure when I come back, if I'm really, really healthy, I'm going to be 10% better than I would have been going in anyway. 100%. It's like it's physically for us and mentally, like qualification is so relentless, you know, two years of events. Pretty much you could fight every two weeks if you wanted to. And I know that Ben was feeling the same as me, like you're mentally exhausted. You know, you just kind of want qualification to be finished so you can get ready for the games. And I feel like now I'm mentally refreshed. Also, my body, like you said, it's a combat sport. Like I had so many injuries that you just kind of don't even think about. Like, I'd have really hurt my thumb. I think I'd like done something to the ligament. The point, like at the start of lockdown, I'd go to pick up the kettle. And I'd hurt my thumb. I like it, it would like be weak picking up the kettle. And I was like, how have I been doing judo with this? Like you just strap it up, you, just, you get on with it. You just, I think you kind of get into that 
I don't know, mindset in it's when your body can actually rest and relax. You're like, how on earth was I like doing judo, gripping with my thumb? But like, it's fine now. It's had time to actually be able to rest, recover. Like you said, there's loads of like little niggles that we always have that have actually had a chance to heal, but never get a chance to heal. So it's definitely like you said, like by reframing, you know, reframing kind of what's happened, it could be the best thing that could happen to us. Obviously it's a horrific situation that's happened, you know, for us to be able to have this time. But actually, in terms of performance, it could be the best thing that's ever happened. So, obviously, I know speaking to Tom um, Reeve, who's obviously been on the podcast before, he'd mentioned um, over text he was trying to do some engagement kind of over Zoom or via setting you guys sessions and stuff. How has that been going and what type of things have you been doing to try and stay active and, I guess, judo relevant and all that type of stuff? Yeah, it's, it's been really nice, actually, because the Juno group in Bath is a really close-knit group. It's kind of more like a little family, really, because we spend so much time together. And I don't know why it happens, but everyone just, we just become a really close group. So it's been really nice to kind of have that contact with everybody without being with them. So we've had, like, challenges have been set. We've had, like, every week we had a challenge. So it was kind of, like, best trick shot, um, best walkout to a fight, you know, like, all those kind of things, which are, like, just fun. You know, like, they're really fun to kind of be involved with. And we've actually had, like, a training plan like we would in in bath so wednesday's a circuit day friday's something called a flintstone friday where you have to like use rocks and logs and do a session they set the session you know like it's been really nice to kind of have that structure still in your week um outside of that because we had access to a gym like me and ben i've had like four weight sessions to do and i have my conditioning that's been set all by my coaches as well so like we have Tom and Adam in Bath now, but Jürgen, who was our coach in Bath, still looks after me and Ben as well. So he's going to be our coach still to the Olympics, along with Adam and Tom kind of being in Bath. And then we have a coach from Ireland. So like the whole team sets our programme. Um, so it's been nice to kind of be involved with the group and then be able to crack on with minor sessions and yeah so in terms of like what stuff you've been doing because obviously everyone's trying to get fit or has been doing sessions i know a lot of me and my friends has been this 1k or two and a half k's or 5k runs which are getting out of hand because people are trying to go quicker and quicker and quicker um what type of sessions are you actually doing like what like what reps and sets what weights all of that type of stuff so to start with the so our sessions the actual like focus of the sessions have changed. Um, so we had at the start of I was in hypertrophy and endurance together. So it was like four sessions in a week, um, just to kind of get a nice base really. So you're doing kind of the endurance is like sets of fifteen, and then for the hypertrophy is kind of like eights to tens. You know, kind of it was it was quite nice to have like a key focus for those first five weeks when we were doing those sessions. And then now we've moved into like more of a max strength phase. So kind of kind of got sessions between like fives and threes. And then we've got a really disgusting Friday session where it's just AMRAP, as many reps as possible. Um, just like a finisher for the week, kind of. There's two exercises like deadlift and bench press with my like five sets of two. And then every other every other uh, exercises as many reps as possible. So what, so what like other exercises up. do you do? Um, so there's chin-ups, press-ups, um, reverse hyper, and RDLs, my four AMRAPs on Friday that I did. 
And I've got some nasty core corsivators stuff because I've got arthritis in my back. So we've got some nasty uh, corsivators stuff just to kind of keep that nice and strong because otherwise it play, like plays up. So um, yeah, but Harry, Iris and Steve are just doing a good job of keeping the sessions nice and disgusting <laughs> while we're on here. <laughs> Well, I think, yeah, as you, as we said earlier, being able to use this time, I guess, to get a lot of, you know, like physical stuff done, is probably going to give you obviously a good opportunity to get that physical base before then going back into the contact stuff and working on techniques yeah. and all that type of type of stuff. It's, it's nice to like be able to be consistent because, you know, like we were in and out of the country so much. To be able to get like four weight sessions in every week is actually like a proper treat. <laughs> and it sounds really weird, but like consistently for the whole of lockdown, being able to get three to four sessions in how how many we're supposed to be doing, you know, in a, in a week, is actually really nice. And I can physically see the change in me. You know, it's kind of I'm doing less endurance because like, I'm doing less judo, so like I really feel like I've put more muscle on, which is actually really nice for a change because I'm quite like long limbed, so it's quite hard for me to put it on. So it's quite nice to actually see the changes through lockdown you know like we've done a good job yeah. you know we've gained some some good stuff like through this so it'd be interesting so, to see when when you go back how that affects like you in uh, sparring and all that type of stuff to see if you feel more powerful from it or or whatnot it'd be interesting to see how that well, affects your actual game <laughs> yeah <laughs> so obviously you mentioned kind of having your local judo home am i right in thinking that's pinewood yes so do you yeah, just want to talk through kind of i guess why you got into judo in the first place and what what kind of pinewood i guess means to you and and whatnot yeah um uh, so i started judo when i was five and um me and ben have got three older brothers um and they've all done judo before us so my, my dad for some reason he really liked judo and kind of it's um like key attributes really kind of like you know you can look after yourself uh you learn a lot of respect keeps you fit you know and um we're really lucky that we live so close to pinewood you know what i mean so they, they all kind of joined and they were really successful they like did it to national level and like won national championships so we were just the next ones in the like fletcher family to kind of get put into it even though i hated it to start with <laughs> i think because i was a really shy kid and then they're like right you're five you're right the right age now you're going to judo and I just remember, I think for the first like three weeks, I just cried every time they took me. But it was only because I was out of my comfort zone. That was the only reason why. And um, it was, I don't know, I, don't, I can't even remember what it was, but I just fell in love with, with winning. And we did so many competitions. You know, the expectation for the club is that you are competing pretty much every weekend. And that becomes like your second family. You're going away with them every weekend all over the country, internationally, like my parents used to travel so much with us. Like one day we'd be fighting in Holland and the next day we'd be fighting in Devizes. Like literally it was mental, you know, like, and you just think my mum used to work nights, she was a nurse. I don't know how, they know how they did it. And they have the business. So they just kind of used to just take me and Ben everywhere. And then, yeah, just gradually more and more, I just really realised that like I wanted to do this, you know, properly. So then when I was 17, I moved down to Bath for uni and, yeah, but like Pinewood always was like a really special part of my heart. And, you know, I, I used to travel back twice a week to come to the sessions, which I don't know how I did it either. <laughs> like I started when I started junior, I got really bad because I'd like gone somewhere else. Even though my coach understood me, like you need to go somewhere else, you know, you can't get enough just from the club now. 
But um, I used to drive back twice a week to come back for the sessions on a Tuesday and Thursday. So did you feel bad for your coach or was it for the people that you were fighting with or was it just a collaboration? It was my coach. Because his whole life was was judo. So like he had a flat like at the judo club. Like his life was judo and was like completely committed. Was like just an absolutely incredible man. You know, he's taught me so many lessons that I live by now still. You know, and things he's taught me in judo that I still use and I win fights with. You know, and I just... I think everyone who's been coached by him has like a real kind of loyalty to him and to the club. And it was like, I'd never wanted him to think that I was being disloyal by going somewhere else. Even though he knew I was, I told him I was going, I was going to uni. It wasn't like I was just leaving and going to another club. It's really silly, but um, yeah. But I think he, he knew that we were always fine wood, you know, that would always be the club that we would write down, even if I hadn't trained there for three years, you know, because it got to a point where, there wasn't anyone at the club really anymore that was a training partner for me or worth coming back for. You know, I get I got older and everybody else is really young and it just kind of that's how it worked out. But um I had so much respect for him as a person, I think that was why I did it. It's, it's obviously uh, shows the kind of effect that a coach can have on an athlete, particularly on those younger age groups in terms of being able to make them, I guess, fall in love with the sport. Hundred percent. It's like, really, they're the, they are the key, aren't they, to unlocking that sport for that person? And I think a good coach can have that effect. You know, whether you love it or you just like it. You know, and he definitely had that effect for like hundreds of us. You Was know? there any particular? Was there any particular way or reason why that you thought he was so, or think he's so successful in getting kids to love the sport? It's really strange because I wouldn't say that he had like a super fun way of coaching or, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, you play a few games when you're a kid, but there is like this utmost expectation that you will fight and you'll perform for the club. You know, like it's kind of, you're a member of this club and you will train a certain way, you will put everything into this. And if you don't, don't be here. You know, like it was like a real kind of, I don't know. I can't, it's like, it's strange because it wasn't like, oh my God, this is super fun. You know, he makes every session really exciting or, you know, it's just, I liked the expectation of having to do my best all the time. And I think that creates an environment where you get a lot of successful people training together. And then you can see them. So, like, as a kid, I could see, like, girls going to the Olympic Games, the European Championships, World Championships, and you think, I want to be that. You know, I want to do that. And you're then their training partners. It's just, like, this whole kind of hierarchy system is just built through the expectation of one man. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know how he did it, but it just, he produced hundreds of national champions and, probably thousands actually like it just you know and it really showed like when he when he passed away there was I think like five or six hundred people came to his funeral like they couldn't even get you couldn't get us in you know like you couldn't get the people in in the building you know and it was just like he had that much of an impact on people it was just he was just a very special person who committed his whole life to the sport you know he he, he was married and then he got divorced, you know, because he was so committed to what he did, you know, and he, I don't know, a little bit felt like 
he'd put all of us before his marriage. You know, he put all of his athletes before everything else in his life. So then all of us would give him everything back, you know? Yeah. It was, um, yeah, he was a very special guy. So I guess the, the key question is there. You, you've mentioned that you kind of went to Bath. Um, uh, obviously you mentioned for uni. What made you choose Bath and, and what did you study there and, and whatnot? So it was a really weird... Um, like a really weird night I, I went down to Bath we had like a randoring session which is a sparring session they have an open randoring on a Monday and Thursday night which we still do now um I went down there one night with my dad and I always had this really weird feeling like this is where I had to come um obviously I was really lucky to have such a good coach at home but the coach in Bath was Jürgen Klinger um who he's he's retired now from Bath but he um he again he had these similar traits to what my coach at home had you know, there's expectation for working hard. He was like, I don't know, he, I could, I just had this really positive feeling. It sounds so strange. I had a really positive feeling being there on the mat, and I was like, this is where I need to come. And that was it. I made my decision off of, like, this feeling I had when I was there. Like, I'd seen Jürgen before, like, national squad trainings, all those kind of things. It wasn't like it was the first time I'd met. But I was just like, this is where I need to be. You know, they had, like, a really strong training group of girls there, and... I really liked kind of his like coaching ethos. About everything that I'd seen, I thought, you know what, for me to go to the next stage, this is where I I want to be. And I hadn't even planned on going to uni. Like I was doing my A levels, I just thought, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. I know I want to carry on doing judo, but then that was that. And then I started at at Bath Bar, at Bath Bar, at Bath Uni, um, doing sports performance. But I really did enjoy the course. And I did quite well in my A-levels, so they let me change over to Bar Spa straight into the second year of environmental science, which is what I should have done from the start. You know, I kind of picked to go to Bath because I thought, oh, it would be easy to study and train at the same place. In sports performance, that would help me with my judo. It was just a little bit too much sport, and actually geography had been my, like, favourite subject. So I, um, <clears throat> yeah, changed straight over into second year in, at Bar Spa, which was really lucky. So I did the two years of foundation degree and then switched over. It's a long way around of doing it, but <laughs> yeah. And so then obviously you're at Bath Uni and um, one of the things you mentioned there is kind of training partners and kind of you've gone from Pinewood where you've almost gone from being at the very top and fighting girls, I imagine, that are younger than you. Now you're going the other way and I imagine there's more experienced people and stuff around there. How did you find fitting into that environment and, and kind of what things early on did you learn from going into, I guess, an even higher elite level programme, if you like? I think um, it was really nice because the training group that was there, um, I knew quite a lot of the girls already. And um, I joined Bath with one of my best friends like, at the same time. So we started as freshers together and we've been on the like GB team together, like traveled the world since we were kids together. So it was really nice to kind of, even though the group was the, the level there was definitely a lot higher than what I was at that point in time. It was really nice. The girls kind of like just took you under their wing, you know, like there was no kind of, they wouldn't go easy on you at like, training, but like they were really caring like we had like mental system within the training groups and one of the girls who was one of my other close friends she was like my go-to person if I needed any help or you know like 
there was a system in place that like everyone was kind of integrated into the group quite nicely and um I think I was really lucky again with like as I said before with Jürgen he was very clear to me that like it was going to take me probably about three years to kind of get my judo into a position where he wanted it to be so we changed a lot of stuff when I first came to Bath and he was like you're going to be in a grey area for a very long time but I knew that because he told me so I wasn't going in there expecting that I was going to win a world medal in the first three years or you know I knew that I was going to be in this for the long haul so yeah I think I had a really good support system around me with Jürgen and with the girls in the group. Did that yeah, shock really... you when you very first went in that he'd said that to you or not? Um I, uh, I think it's crazy because I had so much respect for him from the off I was just like, okay, if that's what you think we should do. You know, like, my junior that I've been taught from my club, which has got me success, he was then saying he wanted to change it. But he explained everything in a way that I could completely understand and see why that had to happen because of my, my body type and all these kind of things. So it's taken, like, 10 years for me to get to where I am now. But if we'd never done that, I probably would never have got to where I am now. It's really strange, you know, like, but I had so much confidence in him because of his past record with his athletes that he knows he's produced Olympic champions. So why would I not respect what he said? But it was a bit like, oh, this is the first three years where like, it sucked. Because like, it's not like, oh, I didn't run fast enough. Like you literally get your head like rammed into the mat because your whole style is being changed and the old stuff's not working. The new stuff's not working. <laughs> You're just in this like mess in the middle. But he told me that was going to happen. So it wasn't like I was deluded. It was just, just sucked because you have to deal with it. But we came to the other side of it and it's worked. So I can't really uh, complain, really. <laughs> it made me tougher. And then one of the things that keeps uh, coming up during the conversations I have with judo athletes is the kind of peer-to-peer learning that takes place. I'd imagine, obviously, yeah. at that time where you're changing kind of your entire style to a way which girls in the group have probably got more experience of and have worked with Jürgen for longer periods, they'll have quite a mm. lot of corporate knowledge, if you like, to be able to help you with. Like, how much did they help you during that period? It's a massive amount, I think. And even till now, you know, your training partner is such an important part of your learning process because they're the person that feels you doing something on them. You know, like if it's a gripping exchange or it's a certain technique, they're the person that feels it and they can feel if it's working or it's not, you know? And I think definitely when I first moved to Bath, hundred percent, like the girls is in a technical session, you get that feedback verbally from them. They're like, Oh, that doesn't feel so good. Or do this a certain way. Then also like in a Randori situation where you're doing it, you're sparring with them. It might not even be something that they say, but if they throw, if you do something, you do it wrong and they throw you, that's, you get that feedback as well. You know, and I think, like, now at the moment in Bath, like, my training partner, um, like, we have a, a great relationship, you know, and I've learned so much from her because in terms of me as an athlete, I'm not someone that feels things very well. Like, it takes me a long time to get something and I have to, like, really work at it, whereas she's she feels things really well. She's got a great feeling for things. So we're kind of yin and yang a little bit. So we kind of, like, fit together really well and... um yeah, Priska, she's she's fantastic. She she fights for Mexico. So similar situation to, to me and my brother, you know, we've got heritage in our family from different countries and she changed over to fight for Mexico and um yeah, we're um yeah, it's a perfect combination. But I've been very lucky in Bath to have always had that kind of wealth of knowledge from my training partners. 
so you have a really good key um relationship with each other you know it's kind of you help them they help you and you play a really key part so like even if the information comes from the coach they can give you that feedback as well how it feels it's a really important um like a really important relationship you know you and a training partner I guess the question I have around this is like when when you watch documentaries or when you look at kind of some top level athletes in other sports. So the example I use at a minute is like the Michael Jordan documentary or a couple of things I've seen on Tiger Woods or that. They seem like uber driven and kind of would want to step on other people in order to get where they needed to go or where they wanted to go. Do you get those character types in judo? And if you do, how does that look? So obviously, I imagine if they're your training partner, they'd kind of be like, well, no, I'm not helping him. Like, I'm winning at the minute, so that's fine. So how does that kind of work in judo if you had one of those, like, like uber, uber alpha types? 100% it happens. Um, I think I think one of the reasons as well, so in Bath, I think I've been really lucky that, because it's a training group where you're not all competing for the same places, you know, to go away internationally. Like, there was a point where um, me and, I don't know if you remember Gemma Gibbons, we were both in the same weight category. She got a silver medal in uh, London at the Olympics, but at 78 kilos, which was the weight category above what she normally fought at. So we both fought at 70 kilos. So when I first came into the group, Gemma was the number two, and it was kind of, <clears throat> even though we were fighting the same weight category, I wasn't quite at that level yet. So, like, it kind of, we weren't fighting off the same spot. So even though, there's always that competition because you want to beat each other. Like, I wasn't quite there yet, you know? So that's quite nice where I know in the centre of excellence where people are, you know, for judo, it's the main centre for judo. They're fighting for the same places and they're having to train with each other all the time, which creates a whole different environment, you know? And I think probably there you get a lot more characters like that. They kind of have to be like that, you know, like kind of, develops that kind of mentality because you are completely competing for the same spots to be able to go to the Olympic Games or the European or the Worlds, you know? And um, it's kind of, those people come along, but they're just, they're not team players, you know? And like I said, you know, a lot, even though judo is an individual sport, a lot of what you learn and a lot of kind of the support you get comes from your teammates. So those people just won't get that much. They won't get that support from those people. Is that but part then, of the reason why you wanted to stay at Bath? Because you had that environment and that kind of training groups and all that type of stuff? Like 100%. Uh, the key the key person was Jürgen. I didn't want to leave him. And the team I had around me, so Barry the Fizzo, you know, he was a key part in my rehabilitation after I hurt my back. And they weren't sure if I was going to be able to do judo again. But we got back, you know. But it was kind of... I didn't want to leave the team that I had so much confidence in at the end of my judo career. You know, I had a great SNC coach with Luke. And then afterwards we've had Harry, you know, like I've had a really good string of like positive coaches around me. And like I said, with the training group as well, it, it feeds for like a family environment where everyone supports each other, even if they're different, lef- different levels. It doesn't matter if someone's fighting at Bucks or they're fighting to go to Olympic Games. Everyone in that training group is there for each other it just creates like it's really nice environment opposed to people like being at competition all the time you know and there's a time and a place for that but it can be really draining and it's not like a it's not a happy environment to go to every single day 
for training. Whereas I'm, I love going to Bath every day. You know, it's kind of, I'm so happy there, opposed to being somewhere where I know a lot of athletes aren't happy because of that environment that's created, which constant competition yeah. and f- having to fight for your place like every day and you're training a bunch of assassins who are gonna you know like if, if you have a slightly off day you're gonna look it's gonna look 20 times worse because you've got all these other elite level athletes who are gonna throw you and and i think that that situation can be dealt with in a, in a different way but it's unfortunately that's the situation that's kind of developed there you know and it, it hasn't a lot of people that athletes have left, you know, um, because they don't like don't like it there. They've decided to go back home and take funding cuts because of it. Like I'm not having a dig, you know, like you know, the successful athletes have come through there. I just personally don't think that, that would work for me. You know, I I I know that that wouldn't have helped my career at all. And I'm the happiest I've ever been and getting the best results I've ever, ever got. So I'm like really happy that I've followed my like my gut feeling and my path that I wanted to stick on because it's working for me. I guess if, if you've got a load of those those characters that we were talking about earlier that constantly need to be the best or need to, you know, try and clamour to the top, if you like, being in that environment is probably a positive for them because they're getting, like, elite-level sparring and they're going to have to figure out a way to beat their competition, if you like. So for those type of characters, that's probably a good environment to be in. But kind of what's coming through on this is that for you, it's got to have a mix of being able to have that elite level competition, but also a point where you can get some honest feedback or you can get support in in a different area rather than constantly feeling like you're under attack. Exactly. It's like, I know full well that with Briscoe, my training partner, we 100% want 100, like 100% the best for the other person. So like, I'll give her anything that she needs. Like, if if I need, like, you know, she's been amazing for me. Like, if I've missed a session and I want to catch it up, she'll come in early before our sparring session so we can do it. We can do clinical session. You know, like, we'll do everything we can to help each other. Whereas in the other environment, you're constantly competing with those people, and it becomes ingrained in your personality all the time there's there's no switch off from it you know and it's like like you said some people that could be like perfect for but i i know for me that like that's not i have to train myself to be a (laughs) on a judo mat you know i have to because it's not in my personality but we're lucky enough that when i'm in bath you know i've got that really great support network and then we can go abroad i can go on an international training camp to get that really top level randori so it's great to have that kind of we've got enough people in bath that it's good enough when i'm at home but then I go away to get even more, kind of go between the two. So obviously some people won't know kind of what the situation was with the, the camp in, in Warsaw, et cetera. And then obviously you changing from kind of Great Britain to Ireland. Is that right as well? Same as your brother. So do you yeah. want to just give a brief summary as to how that actually took place and kind of what happened in order for you to make a decision to stay in Bath rather than go to Warsaw? Yeah. So um, at the end, that's in the Rio cycle, um, I was the number two and like, I kind of started to get more traction at the end of qualification, but not enough to kind of take over the number one, um, but could definitely feel I was making progress. And I got quite a bad injury in my back. And after coming back from that, 
the decision was basically they'd always said that after Rio they were going to centralise the programme to Warsaw and for me I didn't want to I didn't want to move there like I said you know I had the support network around me in Bath I felt really lucky to be back doing judo I wanted to be able to stay in Bath and um like our mum is she's she's Irish and my mum and dad sat me down and they're like Megan look you know if you want to carry on basically if I went from being I was number two in uh, number two in the lead up to Rio if I didn't move to Warsaw I was going to become number five because there was the number one was going to move and there was three other like younger girls that were going to move there anyway so I'd go from number two to number five even though I was better than the other three girls but it's you know it's clear they've said like this is what the situation is um if you don't move you're not a priority which is completely fair enough you know the decision was they're going to build that center and they're they're sticking by you know that's that completely fair enough but for me i just didn't fit into that you know i just didn't want to i didn't want to leave bath so my mom and dad were like look you know do you think it's worth speaking to the irish coaches and seeing there's any possibility of you changing over so i did and i like so i got in contact with kira the coach i said look you know i'd quite like i would just, I, I don't want to move to Warsaw you know is there any possibility of me moving over he was like we would love to have you like straight away he was like we'd love to have you over here but obviously we need to kind of sort of the logistics out because Ireland and, and Great Britain work quite closely together for judo and um I was I was really lucky you know I spoke to the GB coaches I said look it's nothing against you I said I, I've got a job in in Bristol where I'm working I've got back from my injury I've got all my support network here in Bath like I just I don't want to move and they were really like I couldn't really have asked for it to be any smoother. They were like, it's absolutely fine. I completely understand where you're coming from. Like, we wish you every success. You know, if you ever want to come back and train here, like, you're more than welcome. But I think it couldn't have gone any smoother, really. And then I think it was about five months after me that Ben moved over. Because um, he tried to kind of... He stayed in Bath, but had to self-fund everything. Because if he didn't move, he had to self-fund. So then, you know, he just rinsed all of his savings like all of his money you know he's trying to work and be an international athlete it just doesn't work and you have to pay for all those things yourself so um yeah that was how it all happened and then for you I guess the the main thing is being able to stay in Bath and then I guess with the point you're at now it's kind of justified your decision to stay there considering you're doing well in qualification and obviously we're leaning towards Tokyo and, and whatnot yeah, I think it's been like a combination of lots of things, but like I feel a hundred percent supported by Ireland. You know, I was the number three in the lead up to London, number two in the lead up to Rio. I feel like this was always going to be like my time. You know, I needed a little bit more time to kind of get to this level, and it's so nice to have the support around me that's like unwavering. You know, when I was in the lead up to Rio, it kind of always felt like I was getting opportunities. But it was always like, if you don't get a medal here, you won't get any more. Because like, I wasn't, I wasn't on like the the funding scheme, you know, because I was just outside of it. But then that created a stress for me that wasn't helpful for me. It just, you know, now where I'm in, where I'm at with Ireland, you know, everything, I just feel so supported and so kind of happy. Like you said, it feels like it's all paying off. You know, it's everything I decided is paying off which is really nice because it might not happen that way but I had to go with my gut feeling and that was I wanted to stay in Bath with Jürgen and I mean Ireland have been fantastic I think having the addition of Kieran 
as part of my coaching team has had like an additional like impact you know like it's kind of fresh eyes you know him like both of my both of them work so well together I, I couldn't really have asked for it to be any smoother really so I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back a little bit to probably a little bit more of a negative picking up what you just said there what at what point did you realize you weren't going to be able to go to um, Rio and how was that broken to you and how did that come about? Um, so in, I think it was about March time, February time, just in the technical session, um, my back just completely like went, it was like a really strange, like it wasn't even like a big thing that happened, but like I was in agony, like I couldn't really walk very well. Like it was, excruciating I was in excruciating pain in my back and we tried to settle it down by seeing a physio and all that kind of stuff I was getting acupuncture and it just it wasn't settling down and at this point in the last bit of qualification you know I wasn't deluded about thinking that I could I'd have overtaken the number one but I was on a really good run so like I was kind of I was quite stressed with, with the pressure on myself to qualify I, I was like still like it's not over yet you know there's still time you never know what's going to happen so like I was putting quite a lot of stress on myself and um, in that training session when I hurt my back, we kind of had to end up going and getting scans. They thought it was a stress fracture and then they were like, we need to try and check to see if it's um, a certain type of arthritis. They're like, we don't think you've got it. We just want to do the checks. So I had to go and get blood tests and have like more scans. And it ended up that I did have it. So like Jürgen sat me down. Like when we... like. It was impossible. Like I could barely walk, let alone try and carry on doing judo. You know, there was like the tiniest chance that I could have qualified. You know, like I was clearly number two, but like there's always that little bit of hope. You know, keep fighting to the very end. But he sat me down. I remember we were sat in the cafe in Bath, and he was like, "Meg's like, you know, oh, I'm crying out, oh, like he was like, this cycle's done. You know, it's such a hard conversation for him to have with me." I do know why I make him upset now but like it like hurt so bad that it was like it was done it was out of my hands you know it wasn't like it was just it was really bad not to be able to finish it you know and I mean the whole issue around that was like when I saw the specialist they were like look you need to realize that this type of arthritis you shouldn't really be doing contact sport and they were like you know you need to remember that you might not get back from this. So like, we're not saying you can't try because there's rugby players that have it and they carry on playing. They're like, but it was just, it was just a really, it kind of went from like, you're on the final straight to then you might never be able to do this again. And it was just like, I, I didn't see it come in. I don't know if it was, I was so stressed that it caused it to kind of flare up. I've got no idea really what the whole thing was, but like in the same time in February, I got diagnosed with celiacs. Like, so I was allergic to gluten. I just think I created so much stress in my body with finishing the qualification off that my body just my immune response just like flared up because they're all immune response diseases, you know. But it, it all, it's still fine now. But I just it was like such a horrible kind of conversation to have because I knew it. You know when you say something out loud and Jurgen saying it to me as well was just like you know like, it's like it's done, you know, and we need to just see if we can get you back to even be able to do judo. You know, it was just like... <laughs> so what what preceded that in terms of obviously he's had that conversation with you and has probably said something to you that you're aware of yourself, if, if you're completely yeah. honest. The, I guess the couple of weeks or days and weeks and months after that, what, what did that look like for you? So I 
I didn't really want to go like in the dojo at all. I was just like, because I wasn't sure what was happening. I wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on doing judo. Like I was still in so much pain with my back because like they gave me some like really strong anti-inflammatories, but they hadn't kicked in yet. And um, I think probably like the first two weeks I was a bit like, oh, I just did my own thing. They're like, just go, just get your head straight, see what you want to do. And I was like, you know, like I, I need to at least try to see if I can get back. Like, I don't ever want to like think, oh, I should have given it a go. You know, there's, there's still that kind of in my gut that I want to, there's still that in your gut feeling like I still want to go to Olympic Games I want to see how far I can get with this and if I try and I can't get back at least I know that I couldn't do it so I was really lucky that um, Luke Vella was our SNC coach at the time and he's a legend um, so he basically like just I went to see Luke for a month every day all I was allowed to do was was coursability but I had a session with him every day because at the, at the time I was t- I ended up going back into teaching um and did some supply teaching just to kind of get away from judo, like being a completely different bubble. So after school, I'd go see Luke, we do an hour of course ability, and that'd be me that month. That was like all I did, you know, and gradually it started to settle down. Luke would come to me to see my rheumatologist. We kind of, I'd see Barry every week. We had to do like tests on my back and had like a certain scoring system with the pain, and like how it was settling down. And then, I don't know, just gradually slowly slowly we just started adding more things in and gradually building things up and and then I was back on the mat and and was that before Rio that was like all of this was like in still like before the actual competition in Rio so like I I went out to watch Ben compete and I was already I just started doing randori so like I was back on the mat so from March till like August time that was my rehab from my back so like it actually wasn't that long to get back and to settle it down I think it kind of the stress had gone I wasn't the, the games was gone you know I was never going to qualify or have any chance anymore so it was just kind of getting back on the mat that was the aim so how how was that experience for you because I imagine obviously you're excited to see your brother I guess and, and going and proud of him but then I guess it's a sense of bittersweet a little bit because that's something you'd worked in in cycle wise the last four years but obviously prior to that and that's yeah. kind of where you wanted to be able to go and you weren't able to go there how was that for you it wasn't that nice actually um it was exactly what you said like I was so proud of Ben and there is no way I'd never have not been there to watch him fight and it was like I was completely split like you know like in compartments it was like so proud for Ben I'm so excited to watch him fight like you know, it's amazing to be out there to be able to watch with my family. But the other side, you know, I, I think it was more before I went because, like, we were still at home. I can't remember when it was actually we left to go, out, but we saw the opening ceremony was at home. But like, I couldn't watch it. Like, I like had no want to like have anything to do with it apart from being able to see Ben fight. That was basically it. You know, like, I just remember like going to bed early like that night. Mum and Dad were like, "Oh, do you want to?" I'm like, "No." Like, I was just like in my bed crying myself to sleep. You know, like, but it was kind of like that was like before we left. And then as soon as we left to go watch Ben, that was what it was. So it was quite good to just get, oh, you've got to let yourself be upset about it. You know, like it's what you've been working towards and it hasn't worked out. So I was really upset. But then it was like, as soon as we got on the flight, that was Ben's time. You know, and it was like anything, anything to do with my feelings on it were like, I don't know, I just shut the door on it. That's how it felt for he me. Needed, he needed you a little bit to... Yeah, and it wasn't about me anymore, you know, like, as soon as I got on that plane, I was going there to watch him fight and to support him, so it was like, 
it didn't matter. Even when I was there, I wasn't really upset because it was all about him. And it was, was really strange. Was there anything that whilst you were there, either, did you watch the event that you were meant to be in, the weight category and the girls, or was it literally just Ben and then scrap the rest? Just Ben. And it was really strange. So Sally, the girl who was number one, she ended up getting bronze. And um, it was really weird because like, to me and Sally are good friends and I, I was so happy for her. It sounds so weird because even though we've been competing off for the last four years with the spot, I know how much respect that we have for each other and her getting that medal was so deserved. You know, she trains so hard and you have that appreciation for like what that would mean for her. Like, so I wasn't there that day actually in the venue watching it, but like we watched it on the TV and um, yeah, it was just very strange, the whole thing, you know, like, and I've, I was so surprised at how I felt for her because the whole time it sounds so bad. I don't know if she won't mind me saying it. If you go to competitions, I want her to lose because we compete for the same spot. Like, I don't want her to win. And I know that she'd feel the same for me, you know, that's just how it is. But on that day, there was no competition between us. You know, she'd earned that spot. She was 100% number one. And like I said, she worked so hard that, like, I was so happy and proud for her. And it was, I was surprised at how I felt. I was like, how do I feel like that? It's so weird. I spent four years, like, wishing she'd lose. <laughs> and then, you know, but she's my friend. And, like, we you have that appreciation for what that would mean. So it's, yeah, it was a very, very weird, weird few weeks. And is there anything that you learned kind of at those Olympics that, you know, hopefully when you go to Tokyo and that's all signed off and whatnot, that you think actually that's a really good lesson that I've learned that if I hadn't have been there or I hadn't have seen it or I hadn't or whatever, I wouldn't have known that and I would have been nervous about it or anything like that? I think just, you know, a few people have said to me, you know, you, you go to the Olympic Games and actually it's just another judo competition. You know, everyone's, and I know I would have done the same, like, oh my God, only every once every four years, you know, I've never been to Olympic Games before. And it's, as and when the Olympics happen, fingers crossed next year, it all goes to plan, you know, like, I would probably still be so, it's going to be way more kind of scary and exciting and nerve-wracking as every other competition. But like, you walk into the hall and it is just another judo competition. Exactly the same maps, same ref. You know, like it's exactly the same. And I think like actually being able to see that firsthand and be in the stadium was actually like you said something we were like, oh, yeah. And it's funny, Ben said the same thing to me as well when we were there. He was like, you know, it's, it's just another tournament. You know, obviously it's it's not, but like to rationalise it, it's exactly the same as the hundreds that we've done before. You know, I think it's probably good to have seen that and. um I think it was just good for me to have to deal with all of that, you know, the, like the emotions of like everything around kind of 2016 as a year, you know, it was good for me to have to deal with that and come to the other side of it. And when did you start um, working with a psychologist? Did you do it around 2016 or had you worked with one prior? So that was part of the deal with Jürgen. So when I came back, like after those two weeks I had off and I said that I wanted to come back, he was like, right, we'll be out working with James. We're going to start seeing him now. Like I've done a little bit of stuff with him and another psychologist in Bath, but it was never consistent. It was more like, oh, I feel like I've got a problem. I'll go, you know, like, it's not like that. It doesn't work. Like, you know, I was so naive. It's not so. a quick fix where you go, I can see you, done now, next. Yeah. Oh, please give me more confidence. Oh, yeah, okay, here you go. You just... You know, you're just so naive, like, to what you think when you're younger, you know, and then, um, so I started working, so I've been working with James now for four years, and it's been, like, we started day dot, and 
it's been a process the whole way up to here, but we've worked so hard and he's like been fantastic with the stuff that we've done to get me to where I am now. But that was part of the deal. Jürgen said, I, if I wanted to come back, but then because he could see how stressed qualification had made me and he was like, that is part of the deal. If you're coming back, you're working with him like every week. So so what, what differences do you think that's made? Because obviously we're sat here now essentially around well a little bit later than when you were very stressed and had autoimmune problems and whatnot in your last cycle to now whereas you seem way more positive even though obviously Tokyo is kind of a bit here there and everywhere which I imagine if this had happened when it was in Rio this would have been a nightmare for you kind of what work have you done between now and then to see those improvements? So I think it's been more like being consistent around kind of me knowing what I need to do in order to kind of reduce my stress. So things like journaling has been like a big part of that, you know, like getting my emotions out onto a piece of paper. Um, meditation has been a real key part of like what I do um, like on a daily basis. And um, I think that it wasn't, I think it's, it's been a combination of lots of different things. So in terms of me moving to Ireland, eliminated the competition between me and any other people to qualify for that spot. I said to qualify, to be top 18 in the world, it's not an easy thing to do, but it took that one stress away that was causing me a lot of stress. And then in terms of being supported, I know I've got support for the whole year from someone in my team, rather than it being, we'll give you a competition and see how you get on. You know, it's been the work of everybody, you know, and I, I met my boyfriend at the end of 2016, you know, and he's played a massive part, you know, it's like, you kind of, you know, the whole picture comes together. It's like a puzzle clicks in place and it like it works and everybody that's been around me since 2016 has like been part of that process and I think the consistency with James is like the psychology has like definitely helped me for competitions but also just in general life you know we've there's always setbacks or there's always things that happen and competitions don't go so well but like I've learned the process of how to deal with those upsets and when this has happened now I feel like I was better prepared for it that makes sense yeah for sure and as uh, do you think it has had an effect on your competition or when you're competing in tournaments and stuff have you seen an effect in terms of maybe when you're preparing or when you're actually at the competition or in a mat or whatnot as do you think it's had an effect on the, your performances as well is it like the psychology yeah like a massive impact you know i've got my routine set now that i know that works for me you know i i go over the journal and i do it like before the competition so like It'd be like when I land wherever I am, like that day I'll land. Then I do it like the day of the competition, like when I've finished. And then when I get home, like that's part of the process. But then also like my kind of daily routine that I do is like set out. Like I know that I like to do a meditation in the morning. I know my warm-ups all set out. But like that's taking time and working with James to kind of figure out exactly what to put where. That makes sense in the day and like around kind of the competition day, like from when I leave the country here to where I get to where I need to be to and like, till the competition like what I like to do even on training camps you know if you get cabin fever like it's been like a process of knowing what I need to make me feel happy in the support network I need it's like one of my friends she's a massive part of it I speak to her every day when I drive from Bristol to Bath to train in the morning we just catch up on the phone so she's a key part now and like we still keep in contact when I'm away it's like she's a key part of like still feeling like I'm at home or between my fights you know 
well, it sounds so silly and it took me a little while to get used to it, but James was like, what do you do at home to chill out? And I'm like, probably just watch a series. He's like, well, then just watch a series between your fights. And I was like, what? Because I, I was getting exhausted because I was trying to stay like up here, you know, for the whole day. Like, I'm like, arousal level was way too high to kind of keep that for the whole day. So he was like, just watch an episode of your series. And I was like, what the hell? And then now that's a part of my day, you know, like even if it's 10 minutes, if I've got an hour between fights, it switches my brain off. It's been a process of trying to be like, what works? Okay, that didn't work this time. What's the next thing that works? You know, it's, it's kind of everything's in place now and it works really well. And yeah, there'll be, there'll be days where I don't have a good day still, but then we can address that and figure out what we might have been. And, you know, it's, yeah. And do you, do you wish you'd had that earlier on in your career where you'd actually gone and made an effort to make it more consistent with the psychologist? Or do you feel like because you're a little bit older and more mature, you're able to value it more? I think I would definitely have liked to have had it earlier on. But like you said, I think I really see the value in it now. And also, I kind of I don't ever like looking back and thinking, oh, I wish I'd done that. But I think the value of psychology for me, if anyone was asking me something that I think is so important to have as part of like your training schedule, like that for me is like one of the key things. You know, it's not, it's not an easy fix to kind of be like, oh, I want to be more confident. So they're going to give me tricks to be able to do it. You know, it's a whole process of being able to do that. And I think 100%, I would say that like, I wish I had it then, you know, or could see more value in it. Or, you know, I think when in the lead up to Rio, because I was still studying, I was so busy that like the time I had that was free, I, I didn't think about doing it, you know, but I should have done it. But hindsight's a beautiful thing you know like for me now it's made such a massive difference so I guess I'm, I'm gonna go back to I guess a happier time a little bit in terms of in the in the lead up to Rio you had European is it European or Commonwealth Commonwealth am I right in thinking yes Commonwealth Games yeah. 2014 so do you just want to talk us through that for those people that don't know how that event was for you and I guess qualifying for that yeah. and then I guess finishing with gold is the way <laughs> you get to finish yeah. the story. I think it was um it was a really that was a starting point for me. Kind of, you know, I said I kind of gotten a bit more of a I don't know, I was trying to make a big progress. It was like was post Commonwealth Games. So in two thousand fourteen, um I went in like I was ranked number three, was kind of wasn't really seen as being a key contender to win it. And um the qualification for it was actually was was quite easy in terms of like you had to be the best in England, but the number one for GB she fights for Scotland, so she was kind of out of the equation. In terms of me qualif- qualification, I kind of made the qualification quite easy for it. Um, had like great lead up into it. I got some great support from like England, and that's who I was like obviously fighting for GB still at that time. And um, yeah, we kind of went into the tournament just kind of I was bit of an underdog really you know it was such an incredible experience to be there and like um when the draw came out I was on the same side in the draw as Sally was the number one and I remember having a conversation with my mom she was like I see you and Sally are on the same side so I was just like God's sake mom I have a bit of confidence in me I've never beaten her before and um it was it was just such a incredible day so we, we met each other in the semi-final and um, it was like a full-on war. Like, it went into golden score, so we both had a score in, like, normal time. And um, I ended up countering her in golden score. And it was just, like, 
it made the day like so much sweet you know I'd never beaten her before she'd been seen as number one for so long and I was I was always the up and coming that made sense and um it was really weird it was like this kind of and then there's a moment in the fight where I was like I'm not losing this it was like I can't explain it was like a next gear up like level of <laughs> I can't explain it it's so weird it's yeah I can't really explain it but it was um it was such yeah I had it was such a dramatic fight I ended up I cut my nose I had to come and like tape around my face like the doctor had to keep coming on it was like one of those fights where I'll never forget it it was like so such an incredible uh, incredible day and then it was like once I'd beaten her in the semi-final it was like I'm not leaving here with anything but gold it was like no way if I can beat her am I not gonna win I'm not like a cocky person at all or it's just not me but that was my feeling after that I was like I'm not leaving here without winning and um yeah it was such a great such a great day and my whole family were there to watch and it was so strange you know, cause me, me and Ben have had like it normally seems like one of us has a good experience and one of us has a bad experience so like for the Commonwealth I went and won but Ben dislocated his kneecap in the final preparation camp for it so Ben couldn't go and it was like he Ben was there oh it was yeah it was a great day you stand on the podium hearing the national anthem being played and whatnot, and it must be a bit of a almost give you renewed enthusiasm for what could come in the future, where you feel like a lot of your hard work's paid off. Be that with Jurgen at Bath or going back to Pinewood with your coach there, I imagine you see quite a well. That's an ultimate payoff almost for all the hard work that you've been through, and kind of give you enthusiasm for what it looks like moving forward. Yeah, hundred percent. It was like. For me, it felt like the turning point. You know, I was never someone who had like a massive amount of confidence in myself. But that kind of said to me, you know, you can do this. You know, you can get medals. You can beat some really good, good level athletes, you know, to take the next step into the next stage. And um, that was where I kind of started getting more opportunities from GB after I, after I won that. And then it was kind of, that's where I started seeing Rio as maybe like a possibility, like a real possibility. You know, even though I was number two, I was like, yeah, this fight isn't over yet, you know, kind of thing. And um, that's that was the turning point for me in terms of both of those, like my confidence and getting the opportunities to be able to try and qualify. Um, like it didn't work out, but like I definitely made momentum in the, that like kind of next year, year and a half, you know, good momentum from that. And um, it was definitely a good stepping stone for me. And do you feel like it had effect on your competitors? So when you were turning up to tournaments or meets and whatnot and you've obviously your commonwealth champ at the time do you feel like there was a different air around you when you're competing against people i think it was more just for myself like because the commonwealth games for judo is actually quite it's quite a small tournament um so the nations that compete in it aren't really nations that are like that strong at judo really so for me the key it sounds so Sal won't mind me saying it like for me it was like it was beating Sally that was the, the like for me it was like the turning point I finally managed to beat someone that's beaten me 10 times you know it was like oh finally <laughs> you know I've got one in the bag but I think for other people it doesn't tend to be kind of something they'd be like oh you know she won the Commonwealth Games in, in terms of the community in, like in the UK it's like massive thing and but in judo we know that it's kind of it's a lovely thing to do. It was an incredible experience, but the level of the tournament isn't isn't that high. But it was more 
knowing on the day at a major event with a massive crowd, I could do what I had to do. You know, I had that, it was like reassurance for myself. That makes sense. Yeah. More than anything else. Sure. And then in terms of like competitors around the world for you, are there pockets of places that produce the best athletes that you go up against? Yeah, I mean, judo is such a wide like range of countries that produce um, good athletes. Now, especially, there's a lot of teams now that are kind of giving more value to the women teams. So places like Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, they're trying to kind of they're trying to get women's team now, whereas before they wouldn't kind of be interested in it. But you know, like Japan will always produce like a real kind of creme de la creme of athletes. You know, it's where it came from. So they will always produce high class level athletes from like number one to ten in their ranking list could get a world medal that's how good they are you know and there's some people that will never get the chance to even go abroad <laughs> if they did they'd win a world medal you know is that crazy but there's it's like japan will always be strong korea are strong as well germany will always produce that like in my weight category they've got a lot of really strong girls and france um have got like two really good girls in my weight but there's a big range you know like brazil um Lots of the European countries, yeah, there's, for, especially in my weight, there's quite a lot of a range of like the people that will get medals as well. It's not kind of just always the same people that get medals. It's quite widespread. And can you see like identities for countries? So will the Japanese athletes fight very similar to the Germans who will fight very similar? Or is it different depending on which opponent you face? Um, everyone will have their like specific traits but there's definitely trends between countries so like if you think so like japan's like very traditionally like beautiful judo like technically they're really really good um but whereas if you go to more countries like uzbekistan tajikistan they have like again they have a certain style they're more wrestling based so they have lots of like their own traditional wrestling from those countries so that crosses over to their judo um so they're obviously they're really good with their hips and big pickups um you always have anomalies you know people that don't fit the mold for those countries but you can they kind of tend to have their own styles a little bit so germans tend to be like very physically strong um yes yeah, there is like trends throughout um throughout the countries not all the time but there is and also you mentioned like uzbekistan and um azerbaijan there and i i watch a fair bit of mma and I know that all those people around there, that they're well known for that. I know Khabib in particular, I mean, is a well-known wrestler. Has that ever been anything that's interested you in terms of going down that route? Or have you always gone, nah, I'll stay clear of that? No, I don't think so. I don't think I could handle getting punched in the face. I don't <laughs> think I could. I'm like, best my boyfriend, because he did boxing. And like, we've joked around. But like, I don't know if it was, it was him doing it. I was just like, no, this is just not for me. No. <laughs> like, and he was only playing around. You weren't even doing it properly. Um, but I think, like, when I finished you, know, I'd probably like to go down a different avenue, like, learn how to dance or, like, I don't know, something completely different, you know? Yeah. I think um, I don't really have that killer instinct. Like I, like I said before, you know, I had to train it a lot for judo, so I think I just would get annihilated if I did the mma i yeah, think yeah i think it's interesting what it does tend to show is that those of your judo or wrestling backgrounds in particular do well at mma because they can control where the fight is taking place i think that's something that's come from when i watch but you well i'd be willing to give judo and jujitsu and stuff a go 
I'm not sure about boxing or kickboxing when you're getting hit in the head and all that type of stuff. Not really for me. Yeah. Um. No, I think they're so they're so different. I'm like, it's really nice to see that people that do judo, it's like trans, they transfer over really well. It, it's really nice to see that. I just, I know myself. I just don't think I could. I just don't think I'd enjoy it yeah. at all. And then I guess like, I, got... I enjoy fighting. Yeah, they do enjoy fighting rather than grappling and stuff. Um, I guess a question for you as well, moving towards the end, is obviously looking for looking towards Tokyo um, and hopefully all things being well next year and you being able to go and qualify and stuff. How big an achievement would it be to, one, make the Olympics, but then, two, how big a thing would it be to be able to make the Olympics, I guess, in Japan, which is kind of the spiritual home of judo, if you like? Yes, well... It's everything for me at the moment, you know, like it's, um, it'd be like the pinnacle to finish my judo career on. Like I finally achieved my goal, regardless of whatever happens, you know, it's such an achievement in judo qualified to go to the Olympic Games, but yet for it to be in Japan, you know, like, the, like you said, like the home of judo, it's just like, you couldn't really ask for a better ending. I feel like for my career, I just, yeah, I think, um, they, like we, we fought actually in this, the venue at the World Championships where the Olympics will be. So it was like a really nice test run. It's like, it's such an amazing venue. And just to think of being there at the Olympic Games is just like, I don't know, it's electric. You know, like you get that like exciting feeling about it. It's like in your, in your gut, you know, it's, um, yeah, I just, I just really hope that it kind of all works out. And in my head, how I imagine it to be, you know, with the discussions about there maybe not being a crowd or like, all those things. I'm just trying not to even think about it at the minute. Like I'm just hoping that by by next summer that things will be all right and it could run how I imagined it. You know. And it, it. I mean, even if it doesn't, at least you can say you were uh, you went to the Olympics. It was COVID, <laughs> COVID affected, which will be uh, you know not a lot of people will be able to say that. So you'd be at an Olympics that everyone would definitely remember as well. Yeah, I think as well. Like I think. Again, it could be because I'm like a more mature athlete, and I, you know, you deal with things throughout your career. But like, I know that me going to Olympic Games doesn't define me as a person. You know, like I've realised that after everything happened in Rio, like for me, knowing what I've achieved in my junior career and how much I've improved, how I've like I've mastered a skill. You know, that's what I've dedicated myself to doing. And like, my goal is that I want to go to Olympic Games. I want to win major medals. But like, actually, if I don't do that, these years haven't been wasted. You know, it's kind of like, that's the accepting, I think as well, that's been part of the process of accepting what's happening now is just, you know, that doesn't define me. I It was, it was really interesting. I watched Niall, Niall Wilson's um, documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. About like him, did, is, I definitely recommend it. It's like, he talked like he, he's suffering with depression and it kind of talks about like all of his feelings around sport. And it was really interesting at the end of it, he spoke about how like, you know, if he never competes in the Olympic Games again, that doesn't define him as a person. That doesn't define his happiness. You know, it was just, it was really interesting to like listen to somebody else speaking about like his journey and like everything that he's had to go through. And um, I think that's the hardest part for athletes, especially at the end of your career, is that like medals don't define that whole journey. That's the hardest part to accept. You know, it's, um, but that, I think it's so important to be able to do. 
I think that makes sense. Yeah, no, for for sure it doesn't. I think what's interesting for me, and this person has got a lot of medals, but I thought the way that he left was really interesting. Was with Usain Bolt, where he kind of went out not winning. And I think yeah. it could have been really easy for him to turn around and go, actually, no, I'm going to come back. I'm just going to smash it and then go out on a gold. Because in reality, I think he probably could have done if he'd wanted to. But he kind of realised that yeah. that wasn't, the, the medals weren't the thing that defined him. The thing that defined him was, you know, he brought cleanness to the sport, but also, like, people around the world knew about him and knew who he was and it was for a different purpose that he was like happy it wasn't because he got loads of gold medals from being ridiculously fast and I thought it was a lot of top top level athletes always come back they're always like even Mike Tyson at the moment there's talk about him coming back and I'm just like what are you doing whereas for Usain Bolt to go no it's fine yeah I think that's what it is I mean that's what Nar talks about in that documentary it's like trying to find the happiness that you experience with sport in something else. You know, it's, you get happiness from that, but that doesn't, it's not created the happiness for you. Like, you know, it's kind of, like you said, what you're saying, like he, he's got happiness in other areas of his life. It could be in a job. It could be in, with his family. It could be anything, but it's like balancing it all out and kind of realizing that that doesn't make you happy. It's part of you being, it's part of you being happy. But what is it about that that you like? Or, you know, is it the challenge of, like, being better every day? Or, you know, and then you can kind of, like, transfer that over into something else in your life. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's very dangerous. And there's, like you said, there's so many athletes that come back because they want to get that feeling. But actually, it's not that that gave them the feeling. It's something something about it that did. But it's not that. If that makes sense. Yeah, no. So it's like, I think it's so important for athletes to, to know that or to be able to understand that. And I feel really lucky that I do understand that now. Because that was the danger in the build-up to Rio, that what was defining me as a person or like my worth was me being an Olympian. And that wasn't the case. But that was what was causing me the stress, because I wanted it so bad. So just changing the, the kind of like, like you said, like reframing it just slightly. But this, this kind of cycle has made such a big difference, like massive. And linking this all the way back to the start, where you said um, Harry, your S&C coach, mentioned the people that deal with this the best are the ones that will do the best. I think from, mm. from, from what you're saying here, it seems like you've got a real positive outlook on it, which fingers crossed kind of leads you to doing well when you, I'm sure, eventually get there. Um, so the last question for me, which um, is, who's the best player you've either like sparred with or fought against and why? And then who's the best coach you've worked with or against and why? So I think athlete-wise, it's a Japanese girl called Arai, and she's double world champion. Um, she's got beautiful judo, typical Japanese, like really lovely style. She's yeah, she's you know someone who is just they're just incredible at what they do, and um, she's having a bit of a rough ride a bit at the minute because there's quite a lot of competition around like our weight category for who was going to go to the Olympics, but um, she's kind of coming back, coming back stronger now. So. We'll see what happens, you know, come next year, who ends up going. But she's um, someone who's been so consistent in the weight category. And um, I haven't actually ever fought her in a competition, I don't think, just in training camps. But um, hopefully that changes. 
soon. Yeah. I'll be back competing. And, well, I think I've been really lucky with the three key coaches that I've had in my life, you know. I've been so lucky with them. But the person I think that's made the biggest impact on me has been my coach from Bath, which was Jürgen. And um, he's, uh, you know, he's retired now from Bath. He's back living in Germany, but, like, he's still our coach. Like, he's still winning. He's coming away. He's not getting paid, you know, by the university anymore. Or, like, obviously, the trips are paid for for him. He's not forking out money, but, like, he's still going to come away with us till Tokyo. And he, that was the fear as well for me, you know, like, when everything happened. Is he going to want to carry on for another year? Like, doing this, you know? Like, he's moved over there to be back with his wife because she moved back there for a job. And it's kind of, oh, God, is he going to not be around anymore? But, like, you know, he said, he's like, I said to you I was going to be with you to the games and that's what we're doing, you know? And um, but he's he's made, like, monumentous changes to my judo and I, I don't think I'd be anywhere near the level that I am now if it wasn't for him. Well, no. listen, I really appreciate your time, Megan, and, and thanks for doing this. And fingers crossed we get through the other end of this and you can get back competing and get get back training and stuff. I'm, I'm sure that everyone listening will keep an eye um, on, on how you're getting on and whatnot. And fingers crossed we can maybe do this again closer to to the Olympics or after the Olympics. Sounds good. Thank you very much for having me on. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.